really is absolute privilege to introduce Chris to you this morning. Stan and I actually went to hear him uh, last year sometime speaking at a church in Burgess Hill. We went over there and just found it so brilliantly encouraging and challenging in all the best ways. So we're delighted that he's here with us. Not only does he uh, head up home for good, but he's also the president of the London School of Theology, which is fantastic. So please can we give him a really, really warm welcome as he comes to share. Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. Um, some of you are a bit worried about who my friend is up there. Uh, that's John, and uh, he's uh, surreptitiously recording. Actually, not so surreptitiously, because uh, just give him a quick wave. He's a good, good friend of ours. Thank you very much. Um, the, uh, we're recording this because every year we do um, an event called Adoption Sunday, uh, where we're trying to inspire churches to think about our adoption into God's family, uh, but also what that means for the kids Uh, in our country who are in need of adoption. Um, And so you guys can help this morning. So if you can look as as engaged as you possibly can, like the spirit is moving in you, like uh, you're really wrestling with some deep theology, Uh, hopefully you are anyway, so that that would be great. Um, Maybe an easy way to introduce myself is to introduce you to my family. So I wonder if you can put uh, a little slide up there for me. There you go. So I'm the guy in the middle, and uh, on the right, that's my wife, and then the back row, that is our birth family. And uh, we had three kids in three years, and we were under 30. Uh, We weren't necessarily kind of aiming for that, kind of just happened a little bit. If you're not quite sure how these things happen, Paul has promised to run a seminar (laughs) at the end of the service with diagrams and stuff, so... Any help he can give, he's uh, delighted. Father's Day, what a good time to be talking about this kind of thing. But uh, we, I guess I had a little bit of a plan going on. Uh, I reckon that when my kids left home, uh, I would feel a little bit sad. Hands up if your kids have left home. You don't look sad at all, actually. So I, I might have got that completely wrong. But I reckon there would be a kind of big vacuum in my life when my kids finally left the nest. And so we thought, well... Wouldn't it be good if we could have all our kids close together? Uh, Because then maybe they'll all leave home together. They might go off to university, they might go out to work, whatever they're going to do. And then our empty nest could become a love nest again. Just just me and the wife. We could go for long romantic walks along the beach. We live in Oxfordshire, which is about as far away from a beach as you can get. But we could commute, you know, to the beach whenever we needed it. Uh, or what about those, those romantic city breaks that couples do? You know, they go to Copenhagen for the weekend. Well, well, maybe we could do that. And then my wife said to me, hey, Chris, why, why don't we become foster parents? And I thought that is a brilliant idea for other people. Because who wants to take a scooter on a romantic beach walk? Or who wants to bring a nappy sack with them to their romantic weekend in Copenhagen? It was going to spoil all of my wonderful plans for the future. And so I was very resistant. And so I have a lovely and patient wife. And uh, she said to me, um, well, you know, just, just wait and see what, what God might say to you. And a couple of things happen. One is, it's an occupational hazard for those of us that are Christians. I, I was reading the Bible and God spoke to me kind of happens every now and again, doesn't it? That God really kind of underlines certain parts of the scripture. And I couldn't believe how I'd missed it, that God has a particular heart for the vulnerable. 
Maybe you know that already. I know this is a value that you have here as a church. I've heard about your amazing work in the community. Natalie is just on fire for helping those that are marginalized and vulnerable. It's fantastic. But somehow I'd kind of missed it. Let me give you a couple of the verses that God spoke to me through. James 1.27. Do you know how it goes? True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is... You know how it ends? Well, according to many churches I go to, true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is a really kicking worship band. And guys, you have a really kicking worship band. They deserve a round of applause, actually. You know? You can hear from their practice and their craft just, and also their expressions. They love God and they're trying to inspire us to worship. It's a wonderful thing. But that is not how the verse ends. In other churches, true religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is biblically sound, clear, expository preaching. (laughs) Also important, but not how the verse ends. True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is a daily, regular, quiet time. A wonderful gift, but not how the verse ends. Anyone looked it up in the meantime? If God were, and excuse this teachers, if God were to offstead our worship, what is he looking for? True religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. Why does God make that the litmus test of our worship to him? Why is caring for the vulnerable true religion? Well, One way to think about this is this. Imagine my son, my eldest. You saw him on the screen behind me. Uh, Imagine he cycles to school and somehow, even though we live far away, imagine that his cycle route takes him past your house. And unlike today, imagine it's a cold, frosty morning. And he's bombing down the hill as fast as he can and he's He takes the corner a little bit too quickly. His back wheel spins out and he goes flying across the tarmac. And his bike is wiped out and his legs are all skinned. And then, just using his elbows, he manages to make his way to your front door. And you've got one of those special letterboxes designed to give postmen hernias. You know, the ones right down on the floor. And he manages to get his mouth onto the letterbox and he shouts, help, help. And you recognize his voice and maybe you recognize his picture. You open the door, you carefully welcome him in, you make him a hot mug of cocoa, you bandage his wounds. And then with another reliable, trustworthy adult, you put him in your car so you don't break any child protection rules. And you drive him to my house. Guys, if we were friends after this morning, that you would do this for my own flesh and blood. We're friends for life now, aren't we? Okay, wind your memories back. My son's bombing down the hill. He goes too fast around the corner. The back wheel flips out. He makes his way to your door. He gets his lips on the letterbox and he shouts, help, help. And you go, I recognize that voice. I recognize that face. I saw him at church. You know what? I never did right to say thanks to Krish for the sermon he gave us on Father's Day. I think I'll open up my laptop 
And you begin to type me an email, chris at homeforgood.org.uk if you need it. And, you know, this is a Shakespeare year, so you put it in iambic pentameter to express the depth of your gratitude. It's a beautiful email. And I receive it, and as I read it, I'm moved and I'm touched. But then I found out that you did that instead of actually helping my son. What do those words mean to me? That you would think flowery language is a substitute for genuine care. In Isaiah chapter 1, just in case you're worried if it was a New Testament proof text, James 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says, stop it. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Stop lifting your hands in prayer. Stop trampling my courts. I don't want you to worship in this way anymore. Instead, seek justice. Learn to do right. Defend the cause of the widow and the orphan. Worship that God accepts as pure and blameless is to care for the most vulnerable. Now, some of you are already doing that. I know that you're, you're caring in the community. You're caring for the elderly. I'm here to raise a voice for children in need. Children in our country who have just not had the best starts in life. Their life stories have not been brilliant. And I think we can make a difference. So that was the first thing that happened to me. The Bible spoke to me. And then, the other thing that changed my mind was that some friends of ours in their 60s became foster parents for the first time. And I thought, whoa, you got me, Lord. If they can do that in their 60s, I might be able to do this in my 30s. And so we phoned up and we started the process to become foster parents. The first placement that we had was a four-day-old baby straight from hospital. And when our neighbours got wind of this, that that we were going to welcome this little child in, they got super excited and they decided to to make us a quilt. And they said, look, this this child, she's had a rough start in life. We want her to have a really good next step. And we want to give her something unique that no one else on the planet can have, a handmade quilt that is absolutely individual. And so they gave it to us. And we put it in a Moses basket. You hear that? A Moses basket. You remember Moses? First foster child, first adopted child. I'm taking a Moses basket to hospital to pick up a child in need. I'm thinking, God, you are speaking to me. We brought her home and uh, our our church began to fall in love with her. And uh, they said, you know, Chris, we we, we normally reserve this for for birth babies. But why why don't we include you on the new mum and dad meal rotor? I thought, that's, that's nice. So every evening about half past five, someone would come round with a casserole or something. And they said, look, we just want to take the pressure off a little bit and help you kind of get started as this new unit, as a family. We were really touched. Except on, I think it was day four, someone brought us coronation chicken. Now that's a nice thing to bring someone, isn't it? But have you ever seen coronation chicken? Have you ever seen what comes out of an eight-day-old baby? It looks a lot like coronation chicken. Someone ought to make a pastoral list of guidelines about what you bring to newborn babies. And coronation chicken should not be on it. We had to eat with a blindfold on. But we appreciated the sentiment, didn't we? That we weren't on our own as a a fostering family. 
But the rest of our church was wrapping around us and helping us. We were in it together. And the little girl, she, um, she was just wonderful. And, uh, and we, we loved her to bits. And then, then mum got a bit better. And so we were thinking, well, that is brilliant, isn't it? If, if at all possible, the best person to bring up a child is their birth mum. If that's possible, we want to rejoice that that can happen. And so reconciliation, and it, it's just a wonderful goal. But on the other half, we were heartbroken because we fell in love with this child. Now, quick sidebar here. Some people say, Chris, I could never be a foster parent because I'd love the children too much to give them back. And I can't understand that, but they're telling it to me. And I've got to try and keep a happy face. But inside I'm going, what do you think I am? Some kind of unfeeling automaton. Some kind of robot that doesn't get attached. Of course it hurts when you give children back. It's like having your heart ripped out of you. Some people say, I'd love them too much to give them back. And I just want to say, look, in the nicest possible way, that isn't love. You're saying you're not going to get involved in a child's life because you're afraid of getting hurt. That's putting your emotional needs ahead of the needs of a child that might have been neglected or abused. Friends, that isn't love. That's selfishness, isn't it? But I'm a pastor, so I, I put on the happy face and go, I really understand where you're coming from. It can be tough. Anyway, we gave her back, and uh, we all cried, and, 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 but we kind of felt we'd done something good. And then things broke down with mum, and so the little girl came back to be with us, and uh, we were all happy. And then things got better again with mum, and so back to be with mum. And then social services said, this poor child, she's been like a yo-yo. Yeah, she's been attached and unattached and attached again. Is there any way you could adopt her? And we said, of course we can. And uh, can you put the picture up one more time? Um, There she is. She's the little girl with the huge hair on the front row. And uh, we love her to bits. She's going to be 10 uh, next month. And uh, we've we've been the kind of parents that she's known most throughout her life. And uh, not long ago, I I was walking her to school. And she said, Dad, Dad, I'm double adopted, aren't I? And I said, oh, how so? Because that's how we speak in Oxfordshire. (laughs) And she says, well, I'm adopted into the Kandaya family. I said, yes. And she said, well, I'm also adopted into God's family, aren't I? And I'm going, yes, I've got a nine-year-old theologian. That's what I always dreamed of. Thank you, Lord. But she's right, isn't she? If you are a Christian here today, you are an adopted person. We get to call God Father because God adopted us. We don't have that by right. We have that through adoption. And I want to show you from Scripture why this is so important. And so if you've got a Bible, brilliant. Crack it open. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 and uh, I'll, um, I'll talk you through it. You may be able to see it on the screen. Then again, you may not. So I'll try and open it up on my little phone thing here. Galatians chapter 4. Let me give you a bit of context on this. So this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, and he's writing uh, to Christians uh, in a place called Asia Minor. 
Uh, I like that name because I'm Asian and I'm kind of minor when it comes to my height. So I relate to that on lots of levels. It's Father's Day. We're allowed dad jokes today, aren't we? But Asia Minor is kind of modern-day Turkey, and Paul's writing to Christians who are a bit confused about what it means to be in the family of God. And there's a particular group of people that have gone around and saying, well, you know, to really be a a part of God's family, you need to be circumcised. And Paul's going, hold on, I need to help you understand how the Old Testament and the New Testament fit together. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. But I'm going to zoom in on chapter 4 where Paul picks up the argument. Chapter 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they are no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They are subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. If you want a parallel passage for this, this is Paul's version in Galatians 4 of what he says in Galatians 3. Paul's saying, well, being Jewish is brilliant. It's like being a child um, who's got an amazing inheritance ahead of them. But while that child is a minor, they don't get to inherit all the promises. In fact, around the house, they don't look that different from a slave. They get told what to do and where to go. And so they haven't yet inherited, so it feels like they're in slavery. And that slavery is to the law of God. So Paul's going, it's great being Jewish, but you still feel like a slave. But then he opens it up a bit further, and he says, and so also we. In other words, all of us, whether we're Jewish or not, we've also been in some form of slavery. Maybe not to the law, because we didn't know it. But in verse 3, he says, So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Maybe you know that from your own history. Before you became a Christian, you were trapped in things you couldn't get out of. Maybe it was addictive behaviours, things that you just were, were caught in, that you, no matter how hard you tried, you couldn't break its grip over you. Or maybe you were in enslaved relationships maybe you're in slavery to substances and those kind of addictions Paul says that was what it was like before but God has not left us like that have a look at verse 4 but when the time set had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship So we were once in slavery. We were were once in so much trouble, the only way we could get out of it was for God to turn up in the person of his son, Jesus. Friends, my wife and I used to be cross-cultural missionaries in Albania. And uh, we loved living in Albania. It was the most amazing experience. We found the Albanian people incredibly generous and hospitable. Even though it was the poorest country in Europe at the time, people would open up their hearts and their homes and welcome us in. They'd bring us the best that they had. We were treated like royalty. Such an honour. Incredibly humbling. We, we thought we were going there to preach the gospel and we did our best. But it was the Albanian people that taught us about hospitality in a way that we hadn't understood before. But while we were there, there was a crisis in the country. 
And um, a lot of people lost money to a government-backed investment scheme. It was a pyramid program. You know, you put in £100 this week and they promise you £200 next week. And loads of money was put in and that just at the critical time, a crook at the top of the chain steals all the money. And people were angry. And uh, people started to riot on the streets. They started to break into prisons to liberate people. They broke into arms caches. Uh, In a short time, millions of Kalashnikov rifles were in the hands of civilians. And we were ordered to escape, told to go to the British Embassy where we'd be rescued. And so we waited, machine gun fire all around us. We waited to be rescued. And then they sent someone to rescue. I was expecting James Bond, to be honest. But the guy they sent us was more like Mr. Bean than Mr. Bond. And uh, we knew we were in trouble because the first thing he said was, right, we're going to go to Douris, the beach. And he pointed in this direction and all of us knew the beach was in that direction. (laughs) Things were not going well. Anyway, ended up with hundreds, hundreds of us on a beach awaiting rescue. And actually, the rescue didn't come for a very long time. At one level, we were comforted because who they send you is an indication of how much trouble you're in. I guess if they thought we were really in trouble, they would have sent Mr. Bond. But we couldn't have been in that much trouble because they sent in Mr. Bean. Friends, we were in so much trouble, the only person that could get us out was Jesus. At just the right time, God sent his son We were in slavery. We went in above our heads. There was no way out. And so God himself, in the person of Jesus, turns up to rescue us. Can you imagine the conversation in heaven while God was contemplating sending Jesus? God the Father says to his son, Son, I've got got a mission for you. Are you up for it? And the son goes, I am, Father. Send me. But son, it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, Dad, I'm up, I'm in, whatever you need. But son, it's going to mean that you're going to live amongst people that are going to reject you and hate you. Yes, Dad, I'm here, let's go. But son, it's going to mean they're going to betray you and put you on a cross. And even as you're dying on a cross, they'll mock you and they'll scoff at you, they'll taunt you. Dad, I'm I'm, I'm in it, I'm, I'm willing. Son, When I pour my anger out on the sins of the world, I'm going to have to turn my face away from you. You're going to be utterly alone on that cross. Dad, I'm willing, I'll go. At just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law. To set us free from the slavery that we've got ourselves into. But you know what? It's even more precious than that. I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of work in the room, okay? Here's, here's the task. I hear people talk about the good news of the gospel a lot. I train preachers to, to teach the gospel. I help evangelists to explain what the good news of Jesus is. And I often hear them talk about redemption, that we were once in slavery and we're set free. That is a beautiful, wonderful picture of the gospel. I sometimes hear people talk about forgiveness. We were guilty in front of God, but God has forgiven us our sins and wiped the slate clean. That is beautiful as well, isn't it? I sometimes hear Christians talk about rescue, 
that once we were in so much trouble that God himself came as a saviour rescuer to get us out of that trouble. All of that is beautiful. But this passage talks about something even more profound. So here's your, your task. And it is competitive. I'm going to set this group against this group against this group. And uh, what I'm asking is what does adoption give you in your relationship with God that forgiveness, redemption, and rescue don't? What more does adoption give you? Because that's a part of the gospel we often don't hear very much about. So you're going to chat to your neighbor, and just in pairs, you're going to try and come up with maybe two or three things that adoption gives you more than those normal ways we use of talking about the gospel. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Come on. All right, have a little chat and we'll see. And yes, it is on video, but we might edit this out if you don't do very well. How are you doing? You doing okay? All right. I'm going to start over here. Okay. And um, we'll see how people get on. Just stick stick your hand out. Hand up and uh, give me something. Yes, please. What's your name? Maria. Give Give me one thing. Yeah, good, good. Brilliant. So, so, um, adoption really emphasizes a love relationship with God, doesn't it? Um, in a way, maybe, that forgiveness doesn't. Let me give you an illustration. So, so today, I'm dressed up for you, but I'm also dressed up because I'm taking my dad out for lunch later. And uh, I have a little confession to make. I bought my shoes in a second-hand shop. Yeah, it's true, man. Actually, the shirt as well, but let's not get into it. And um, you might now be really offended that I would turn up to such a lovely church with such a lovely group of people in a second-hand shirt and shoes. So let's imagine this, right? Before this morning, we didn't know each other at all, okay? So relationally, we were at zero. But now, I've brought great offence with my shirt and my shoes, and we might be at minus 10 relationship-wise, mightn't we? But you also look like a gracious bunch, so let's assume that you're willing to forgive me. I was at minus 10, and now because you've forgiven me, We're back at zero, aren't we? We're not counting my sins against me anymore. Adoption says you're more than just forgiven. You're loved. 
You're not at minus 10. You're not at zero. You're at plus a billion. God says you're in my family and I'm not letting you go. Isn't adoption wonderful? Maria, that's great. Give her a round of applause. That was a really good one. Okay, looking at you guys, Maria set a high benchmark. Have you got anything that you want to say? What does adoption give you? Yes, please. Security, that's right. Yeah, really good. So look, the, the problem is, with a, a picture like Redemption, okay, um, I can't help but think of the movie, The Shawshank Redemption. It's one of my favorite movies. Not maybe one to watch at family movie time. It's got some bad language in it. But what a brilliant movie. And in the middle of that movie, there's a picture of a guy called Brooks. He's been in prison for most of his life. And then halfway through the film, he gets set free. That's amazing, isn't it? He's he's out, and he doesn't have to be subject to the powers over him anymore. But in the free world, Brooks does not do very well. He's got no friends. He's got no security. And so pretty soon, he's either thinking about committing another crime to go back into prison, or... To kind of end his life. It's a pretty sad part of the film. And we know, don't we, if we've been working with people who've who've been in prison, coming out of prison is not the end. These guys need friendship and love and security around them. And there's there's some fantastic work going around the UK of, of churches that are providing that kind of help. So guys, look, we were not just set free from sin. We were not just set free from our history... We have the security of a loving family around us. God says, you're mine, and nothing's going to change that. That's incredible. That's a real gift from God. So adoption is even more powerful than being set free from sin. It's being included in a secure family. Well done. Round of applause. Thank you. All right. Is there anything left? Yes, please. Tell me your name. Teresa. Inheritance. Let's talk about that one, Teresa. That's really good. Inheritance. And, and actually, that's where the passage, Galatians 4, goes. Somehow, now that we're adopted into God's family, we are co-inheritors with Christ of all the amazing blessings that Jesus has. Now, one, one way of thinking about this might help you. So, look, when it was just my wife and I in our family, pizza night was a brilliant night. Okay? Because my wife has a very small appetite. And so she would have this acute angle that was her bit of the pizza and I would have the obtuse angle that was all the rest. Good times. Now, now that we've got six kids in our household, um, we haven't got a bigger oven so we can actually only fit in the same amount of pizzas that we could before. Maybe there's a solution to this you can tell me about. So my slice of the pizza is getting smaller and smaller the more people that are in my family. And I could get a bit resentful, couldn't I? We're not having any more kids in our household, or why I'm going to just get this kind of tiny thing, you know, minuscule, like almost invisible, need an electron microscope to see my pizza. Now imagine Jesus had thought like that. Jesus is the rightful heir over all creation. He's the one to whom all creation belongs. And Jesus could say, I'm not sharing it with anyone. It's all mine. But you know what? Jesus is the best older brother you could ever hope for. What did he say? I'm in. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll go to the cross. I'll carry the weight of the sins of the world. I'll, I'll die and then I'll be risen up from the dead again. And then I gladly share all of this with all of us. What an incredible God we have. So friends, look, you, you've, you've unpacked it. And there are so many other ways we could think about this. But God has adopted us into his family. The theologian J.I. Packer says, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel affords us. And yet somehow, we rarely sing about it, we rarely preach about it, we rarely give thanks for it. It's great to hear a prayer about that this morning. But adoption is the most wonderful gift that God has given you. And I wonder... I wonder whether that same spirit of adoption that meant we were included into God's family could be shown by us to a world in need. At the moment, in the UK, there are thousands of children waiting to be adopted. It's around 4,000 right now. And they're not babies. Most adopters coming forward really want a baby, and I totally understand that. Babies are amazing. Sometimes I think if you want proof of the existence of God to someone, just present a baby to them, and, and it's almost instant. They, they just want to say thank you to someone. But the children that are waiting for adoption are not babies. They're older. Many of them have experienced neglect or abuse in their lives. They've had a pretty terrible life story. They've experienced things that no one should have had to experience, and they're waiting. They're waiting because they're not the kind of kids that most people want. Somehow most adopters have a kind of shopping list in their mind. And I understand it. They want it to be young. They want it to have you know, a certain look. Maybe they want a boy or a girl. They want there to be as little damage and brokenness as possible. Friends, imagine God had had a shopping list when he was thinking about adopting you and me. We've got to be young. Well... That rules out a lot of us. We've got to have no emotional baggage with us. No physical deformities or or, or, uh, uh, disabilities. No sin, no damage, no brokenness. How many of us will be accepted into God's family then? Well, we know already. The Bible says none of us. None of us would. You see, the difference is God didn't adopt us because he needed it. We didn't fill some kind of empty hole in God. Theologians talk about the aseity of God. God was completely happy and satisfied in himself before any of us came along. God didn't adopt us because he needed it. He adopted us because we needed it. It was the grace and compassion of God that flowed out to you and me and said, Whatever your history, whatever your background, whatever your physical state, I want you in my family. I want to call you my precious child forever. And so we're saying to the church, come on, let's model the adopting grace of God into the lives of children who've had some pretty rubbish stuff happen to them. If we, if we do this, it will have a hugely transformative effect for three groups of people. The first one is the kids themselves. Sadly, many kids um, go through foster care, and there are some amazing foster carers. I've, I've met two, at least, here in this church. And uh, you've, been, you've got a great tradition in this church of people that have been pouring their love into kids. 
But sadly, many kids that age out of foster care don't do brilliantly. Many of them don't manage to find uh, work or training. Many of them, sadly, end up in the prison system. Over 50% of the male prison population that's under 25 are young men that have aged out of care. A huge percentage of our homeless population in the UK are young boys and girls that have aged out of care and then had nowhere to go. In some areas, it's 70% of sex workers are young women who aged out of care. Friends, I'm so excited the church is doing stuff amongst the homeless, amongst prisoners, and about people that are trapped in the sex industry. But I say, look, rather than waiting until they get to that stage in their 20s, what about making a difference in their lives when they're three or four? can't promise you it's going to be Anna Green Gables or Despicable Me or, you know, Annie. It's not all going to be sweetness and light. Fostering and adoption can be one of the hardest things a family does. But surely these kids will be better off if by the grace of God we're able to pour love and compassion into them. So the first group of people that get helped are these kids. But the second group of people that get helped is us, the church. What's God looking for in worship? Well, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. We get to offer God the kind of worship that he asks for. And surely that's why we're here. So if we step up and foster and adopt the kids that need it, we can make a difference to our worship. But thirdly, think about the reputation of Jesus in our culture. What do people think about Christians? What do they think about the church? They're often very familiar with the stuff that we're against. But they don't know what we're for. And we're for grace and compassion and generosity and kindness. Surely, if the church stepped up and fostered and adopted all the kids that needed it, that would speak volumes of the grace of God in a way that speaks even more powerfully than words alone. So now you're getting worried. You're going, Chris, it's not for me. Well, let me tell you some numbers that will encourage you, and then I'll set you a little challenge. Here's the numbers. 4,000 kids waiting for adoption. Another 9,000 foster families needed across the UK. That's an awful lot of carers and parents that are needed. But of churches like yours, maybe not as big as yours, but there's around 15,000 in the UK. How's your maths? You know what that means? I don't need each one of you to adopt 10 kids. I didn't bring a minibus with me with kids to adopt at the end of the service and you've all got to take a couple home. You know what? I just need one new family per church that's either going to foster and adopt. Maybe the bigger churches can do a bit more. And we've met the entire need in the country. That's huge, isn't it? It's really doable. So I'd like to set you a little challenge. My last slide's got four little points on it. And I just want to wonder if you could respond in one of these four ways. First is this. Let's start at the top. Is God saying to you in this stage in your life, whether you're young or old, whether you're married or single, whether you've had kids or not had kids, is God saying to you that this is something he wants you to step into? to think about becoming a foster carer or an adoptive parent? Is that something God's saying now or something God's planting in you for the future? 
at least we need to be able to say to God, here I am. And so we'd ask you in a moment to kind of consider whether that's something God's speaking to you. The second thing is, well, there are already carers in this church. What would it mean for you to stand alongside them and give them the help and support that they need? You know, being on the meal rotor in our church was great. It lasted two weeks, but it was great. But the problems and the challenges for foster carers goes on and on and on. I want to show you a little picture. Can you show me a picture of my garden? It's got a little boy in the middle. And um, that little boy, let me tell you his story. And let me tell you how the church helped us. The little boy with a white t-shirt going like this. We have to make a little book every time a child moves on to get adopted. And it's called the Life History Book. And you try to fill it with as many pictures as you can to tell the story of this child. And sadly, many kids that are in care don't have many photos from the early part of their life. Sometimes parents haven't really celebrated their existence in the world. So we pieced together as many photos as we could of his life. And then for the year that he was with us, he had hundreds of photos. Him on holiday with us, him at the beach with us, him going to school, him learning to ride a bicycle, all sorts of exciting things that he'd done as being part of our family. And we wanted to find a way to tell him what church had meant to him. Because he was going to an adoptive family that that didn't do church. And we could have taken a picture of the building. We could have taken a picture of the worship band. We could have taken a picture of the communion table. But we wanted to take a picture of the family that had loved him. And so this is the farewell party in our garden. And each of the people in the picture has played a role. Whether it was another child in Sunday school that made him feel welcome. When other kids didn't find that so easy. Or another person in the church who became an adoptive um, or a foster auntie to him. Every time she went on holiday, she'd send him a postcard. When it was Easter, she'd include him with an Easter egg. She'd invite him to her kids' parties. She just wanted to say, I love you. She couldn't be a foster carer, but she could be a kind of adopted foster auntie. Well, there's another picture. Well, you can't quite see him. There's a guy out of frame who was an engineer. And this lad, he had all sorts of challenges and he wouldn't sit still for any length of time in the service. And so with our permission, this guy would sit next to him and draw him something. What's it going to be this week? A a, a bus or a plane? A plane. Because he's an engineer, he could make a really intricate diagram last about 20 minutes. Really helped us. And it made this kid feel very welcome. And so in his life history book, we we painted and pasted in a lot of his pictures too. Here is a picture of a church saying, we are with you and we are for you. Friends, that's what you could do. Would you stand alongside those that are able to do this? Third point on my slide, could you speak up for this? You know the old story of the little boy that's walking along a beach? Could have been Hastings Beach. And uh, he comes across a load of starfish that have been washed up by the tide. Do you know the old story? And he picks up a starfish and he runs to the shore and he's about to chuck one in. Uh, I don't know why. It's always an ageist story. It's always an old man comes up to him and says, Little boy, why do you bother? It doesn't make a difference. Do you remember what he said? Makes a difference to this one. And he chucks the starfish in. Come on. Well... I'm telling you these stories because each child matters to God and we can make a difference one child at a time. But friends, 
I took your picture earlier. Because do you know what? A boy walking along a beach today would have one of these with him, wouldn't he? A smartphone. And he'd snap a picture of those washed up starfish and he'd post it on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Snapchat. And if his dad worked for Google, Google Plus. And, and he'd share it with everybody he possibly could. And do you know what? Pretty soon, I reckon he'd have a thousand people on that beach. Each one picking up a starfish. Each one making a difference. Maybe you can help us to use your voice to change the way that the church and maybe even our nation thinks about parenting. So would you follow us on Facebook, like us on Twitter? Would you, maybe you've got a skill. My friend John has been giving his time to us at Home for Good because he's got a skill in making movies. Or maybe you're an artist, maybe you're a poet, maybe you're a musician. Would you help us make a noise about this so that we might change the way that people think about parenting? And lastly, before I close with a little prayer, actually the band might want to begin to make their way up. Lastly, yeah, we're a brand new charity. We are strapped for cash, and yet we think we're a small charity, but we think big. We think we can change the nation. So we'd love it if you might consider standing alongside us financially. But friends, I want to draw the threads together and just lead us into a little time of prayer and response. And maybe um, if you're able to, why don't you stand with me as I lead us in a little prayer. And if at the end of this prayer you're feeling that God wants to do a bit more work with you, Uh, then why don't you come down to this side and the ministry team will be happy to pray with you at the end. Or if you want to talk a little bit further, I'm going to be at the stand at the back. And uh, you want to talk, you want to pray with me, you want to uh, pick up some literature, that's all possible at the back as well. But maybe as an act of saying we're we're here and we're present to God, you might want to lift your hand up, open palm to God. And let's pray. Father God, What an honor it is to call you Father. Father, we're grateful for those that have been dads in our lives or or father figures to us. But we thank you that you're a father like no one else. Thank you that you saw us in our need, in our brokenness, in our slavery, in our sin. And you reached out. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that he died on the cross. Thank you that we were forgiven. Thank you that we were released from slavery. Thank you that we were rescued. But above all, we thank you that you adopted us. That by your spirit, now we can call you Abba, Father. Thank you that we have great security. We belong now. We have relationship. We have inheritance. Lord, help those truths never to be dry to us. Keep them fresh in our hearts. That we might love you as you deserve. And Father, if there are people here today that don't know you as their adopted dad, would you give them courage at the end to just come out and pray with someone that they might, even this morning, be adopted into your family. But Father God, our heart breaks for the kids that are waiting for families. Lord, you set the lonely in families. You are the father to the fatherless, the protector of widows and orphans. And Lord, would you help us to step up in any way that you're leading. Give us a generous heart that we might open our homes and our families to those that are in need.
In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.